It's good to be here tonight. I'm glad you are here. Thank you for being here. You know, we've been talking about apps and uh, Crown Point Church. And uh, Jeff Otte brought me a t-shirt last week or, or Sunday. And I know you can't read it from there, but maybe, Philip, you could read it out loud. I'm just kidding. Uh, it says on here, it's got some app pictures, and it says, looking for truth, happiness, and purpose in life. There's not an app for that. There's a Savior. So, very funny, very funny. I want to remind you about some Sunday school classes we have. Sun Stand Still, tremendous, tremendous series by Steve Furtick that uh, Andrea Thompson is teaching. And I wanted to remind you, too, that this class is not just for women. I know she does a women's life group, and so I think some people maybe thought the Sunday school was just for women, but it's not. It's, this is something that applies to everybody about praying big, God-sized prayers, an incredible, incredible thing. Well, it's, it's good to be with you tonight, and I have been praying about this evening just because I, I just counted an honor to be with you every Wednesday night and counted an honor to stand before you and, and open some of the word. And you know what's funny about this, this whole app idea is the idea is, is that we're going to apply something to our lives. You know, an application for your phone or your computer is, is a great thing, but if you don't apply it, it's, it's worthless, and some of this in the book of James is so familiar that I look at it and I think, people have heard this a lot. I mean, how can I say this again? It's so plain. It's so obvious. And as I was praying that this week, I felt like God saying, then why aren't you living it? If it's that simple and that obvious, I don't see you doing it all the time. And I thought, well, that's, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that's true. And, and uh, that's true. <laughs> so as we get into this again, I just want to remind you that, you know, we're just kind of using that play on apps. And how, how many here do have a phone that, that can do little applications? How many of you have something like that? Did, <laughs> Nick, uh, was that last week you did that? I think it was last week. He, during the service, he put on Twitter that Pastor Dennis was here talking about apps, and he's tempted to surf the web right now, look for him during church. So I, he, you're, that's fine with me. That wouldn't even bother me at all. But as we're talking about this this week, um, I wanted to just kind of show you a couple more things. You know, when we talked about apps that first week, a few people were talking about, like, there's game apps. Anybody play games on the phone? Anybody? Pastor does. <laughs> His hand was quick, up there quick. What's some of your favorite games? What do you guys play? Backgammon? What? Angry Birds? What else? I can't hear. I'm sorry. Oh, oh, yeah, Word Feud. That's, that's cool. Yeah, Word Feud is cool. It's, it's, um, it's uh, what, what would be the right, what would be, yeah, Scrabble, but you can play with people all, literally all over the world on the internet, people you don't even know, or your friends who you know. But someone did mention uh, Angry Birds, and in case you're curious about Angry Birds and you don't know what that is, I thought I would share that with you just for a minute because it's one of the most successful apps in history if there is such a thing as history for apps, there is. But uh, Angry Birds app, it's basically you slingshot different kinds of birds into structures and the pigs have stolen the bird's eggs. It's stupid, really. It's just a time waster, but it's so addictive that literally combined 300 million downloads across all platforms. And what they're talking about there is iPhones or Android phones or whatever. And uh, this is, it's the most, the largest uh, mobile apps, app success the world has ever seen. <laughs> so you know what I thought I would do? I thought I would, anybody not know what this is? Let me show you. 
since we can do this, let's just do it. If you happen to have Google Chrome, you can actually play this. And I'm not recommending this, but you could play it on your computer. So this is what it looks like. You open it up. Now, it looks like this on your phone, too. Am I right? Anybody want to come do it because you're probably really good at it? No? So here's the birds. They're trying to find their eggs. Their eggs are gone. (laughs) And who has their eggs but these terrible, terrible pigs? So (laughs) it's so silly. Uh, All right. um, So there you go. I, I don't know what the pigs want with eggs. That's a good question. So what you do is you slingshot them over there. That wasn't a very good shot. I mean, it's all right, but... So see how it works? You knocked it all down, and you got your, got your egg back, got the pig, and got a mediocre score there. And then you go to the next one. So you see how this works? And you're wondering, some of you are wondering, why in the world would anybody waste their time doing this, right? It is. It's addictive. I don't know why. <laughs> it's dumb. I know my kids love it. They always ask to do it. There's three different versions that I know of of this game. And whenever a new one comes out, my kids are saying, can I see it? Can I see your phone? Sure. And then they play it up. And that's just, it's crazy. But it's out there and it's, it's um, that's an app. Now, as far as apps go, there are other apps that are more, you know, to be honest, they're more helpful. There's apps that are, that are more applicable to our life, things that could actually help us with our life. Let me show you another one. And uh, I know that some of you are already familiar with this, so I apologize if I'm going over stuff that's really, really elementary to some people. But there's such things out there as podcasts. And I know some of you are like, well, I don't know what that means. Well, here's, here's what it means. I put a little definition up there. I actually had to look this up because I was thinking, podcast, I wonder what that does mean. And I thought it had something to do with pod. It turns out it has something to do with iPod. And what happened was there's, you know, on the web, the World Wide Web, there are, you know, tons of audio files out there that you can hear everything from preachers to teachers to uh, forums. I mean, almost anything that you can imagine, people have put it out there on the World Wide Web available for you to download. And they used to call those webcasts. But as iPods became so commonplace, they just kind of transferred the name over and it's called a podcast. So if you're ever on a page, on a web page or something, and it says, you see that little symbol down on the left? That's an app that you can hit, and that would be something to tell you, hey, you could turn this into something that you could use. Now, on your phone, you might be saying, okay, well, how does that apply to anything? Well, let me just show you one. I'll show you the app that I use. This is the app I use, and it's called, this is a podcatcher, and what it will do is this Google Listen will literally go and will update my subscriptions continuously so if I want to listen to somebody, like I listen to Andy Stanley from, um, some of you probably are more familiar with his dad, but he does great podcasts. And so I listen to those, for instance, if I'm at the gym, I'll, I'll turn those on my phone. So instead of listening to the radio or listening to, you know, something like that, I'll be listening to a teaching podcast from him or somebody else. So I can, I can literally have a ton of subscriptions up there and that's what it looks like on my phone. And I just plug it in and it goes and finds those things for me. So do you see how that can be helpful? And you can find sermons from whoever you like. I mean, everything from, you guys know, anybody remember Jay Vernon McGee? Hear him on the radio? Well, all his stuff is archived. And if you want, you can hear every one of those sermons that he did all through the whole Bible. It's all out there. In fact, today I was looking through just some other podcasts that are available, and it was just shocking to me. It's almost anything you want. Any preacher, favorite preacher you've ever had, there's probably something out there. And you could put it on your phone and then listen at your convenience. You can listen in your car, anywhere you are. So when I say... Some of the apps are silly, like, you know, obviously Angry Birds is silly. 
fun, time waster. But on the other hand, some of them can be really, really useful. And that's more like what I want to talk about tonight. Something that's going to be useful for you to improve your life and the way you live for Christ. So let me ask you this. If we wanted something that was going to be really, really useful for us, I'll be honest. Here's the thing. Nick said not to say I'm honest because then it makes makes you wonder if I haven't been honest. Okay. (laughs) Tell me if this is not true for you. People are the greatest things in your life, right? And people cause you the most pain in your life, right? (laughs) Why is that? I mean, both. You get both sides. I mean, it's people who find, you find the most joy in and interacting with and conversation with and them with you and, the, and yet the most pain. I think back in my ministry over the years, volunteers that I've worked with have brought me the most joy. Seeing them duplicate the ministry and, and, and minister to people I could never reach. And yet at the same time, my deepest heartaches has been at the hands of volunteers. That's life. How do you love people when it's like that? How do you go into relationships knowing that, hmm, is it just a matter of time before this person hurts me? Is it just a matter of time before I regret making this relationship and then sometime they're going to turn on me and it's going to be painful? How do you do it? How do you do it over and over and over? Now, with this said, as we look at the book of James here, what I'd like to talk about for just a few minutes is how we can have the proper compassion toward people. So tonight we're going to talk about a compassion app. Because when it comes right down to it, if you care enough about people, more than you care about whether or not they're going to hurt you, then you're going to be able to extend yourself in spite of the fact that it's a risk. And it's always a risk. Guess what? Life is a risk. Anything worth having is going to be a risk. And you're in danger of getting your hand slapped or your heart stepped on. Again, but I think it's worth the risk and the way to do it is is with this app So let's take a look at what exactly James says about this and I have to warn you anytime somebody comes at you and says my brothers and sisters Just buckle up because he's he's about to (laughs) he's about to put something on you So he says my brothers and sisters Believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, (laughs) have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Now, I know some of us are thinking, we don't do that anymore. We wouldn't say that, right? Right? You would say it, Dave? Oh, oh, I thought he said, he said I would. No, you said right. Right? We would never do that. We would never be guilty of that. But let me just make a little bit broader application. Well, and before we do that, let's actually go back just a little bit in history. How many of you have ever been to to this church? Anybody recognize it? Colonial Williamsburg. Anybody been there? All right. And if you go in that church, what did you notice about that church? Something I'd never seen before in a church. They didn't have pews. They didn't have nice theater seating like this. This is what they have. They have um, actually boxes in the church. They actually have compartments that you could sit in. And so you would open that little door, and that would be where your family would sit. 
So it kind of looked like that. And uh, here's another view of a different church, kind of a similar setup. And if you were rich enough, you could have one close to the front, and then you could even decorate it yourself. These decorations are almost 200 years old from a church. It is embarrassing, isn't it? It's embarrassing to think people would raffle off your, your seats in a church. And if you paid enough, that's where you could be. I was at a church in California a few years ago for a conference. And as we were walking around, I started noticing this seat paid for by and someone's name on it. And at first I thought, oh, that's nice. And then I noticed everything in the church had a name on it. And then I got to thinking, it is nice and it's a nice way to pay for stuff. But then I got to wondering, wonder how much privilege came along with that money. Because I'll bet you there's people in that church who wanted to be part of the church and wanted to contribute but they didn't have the money to put their name on that seat. Certainly not the one up front. And it, it was incredible. Like once I noticed it and I'm bad like this, then I start looking for it. I'm talking about bricks on the ground, <laughs> paving stones, you know, archways. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. And I get it. You know, you want to in memory of or whatever. That's cool. I mean, that's great. I'm not criticizing necessarily what I'm saying is that's all great. As long as it doesn't end up being favoritism. And you know what? We're all human to some degree. We start to do that. There's always seems to be some strings attached. And we wonder, am I going to get something out of this? Or should we? Should we not? I mean, to churches, you know, it's, it's such a, a danger for people to know, you know, who's giving what or how they're giving. Because that shouldn't matter. Did you know the word favoritism shows up in Scripture four times? That's it. Two of those places, it says, God does not show favoritism. Well, all four it does, but two of them, it flat out says that. And these are in the book of James. Two of them are in the book of James. And then the others, one is in Romans 2, and another one is in Acts 34. Let me just show you what he says. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over just uh, judgment. I'm going to say something here, and I don't want to offend you, but it's the truth. Favoritism is just flat out unchristian. When, God, when the Bible says God doesn't show favoritism, and when he tells us that we shouldn't do it, that's one of those things where I'm saying to God, duh, people know this. And he says, yeah, but you do it. And I'm saying, I'm, I'm in prayer, I'm like, no, I don't. He said, yeah, you do. Yes, you do. Do you really treat everybody the same? I mean, we, we, we say that the, foot, the, the ground is level at the foot of the cross, but then there's times where it's a little bit different because people are people, aren't we? Some people are easier to get along with than others. And I've dealt with this my whole ministry, you know, working with students. What's that one word you hear all the time? Clicks. You know that word? Oh, the youth group's got clicks and this and this. And, and you know, some of that's natural. It's okay, right? I mean, it's okay to hang out with people you like and people have similar interests. Not everybody's the same. The difference is when those cliques get to be exclusive and people are kept outside. The difference is when people don't dress the same. Or maybe they 
Maybe they've got some tattoos or some piercings or things that, that we've, we wouldn't do or might find offensive, but you still love them the same. You still come up and hug them or be as friendly. Or how about when they smell bad? Can we talk about that? There's this youth one time. I came to this youth group, and uh, you know that scripture in John chapter 4? Any Bible quizzers here? Remember what happened in John chapter 4? Lazarus. Oh, you're right. That was 11, John 11. And um, remember, okay, remember the story Jesus delayed, and then when he got there and he said, roll away the stone, and they said what? He said, surely he stinketh. Okay, when I got to this youth group, you know what they said? They called this boy that verse. And he had a problem, and people didn't love him. I know it's an extreme example, but we do it. We do it. We do it on all these levels. We do it on socioeconomic levels. We certainly do it on race levels. I mean, we see that often. I would love to see... uh, a country, and for sure a church where none of this existed. But if we're not honest about it and don't talk about it from time to time and point out the areas, then it's pretty easy to fall into our human nature and just do what we do. How about, how about even this? I know that people know people in this church, and there's other people who don't know each other as well. And maybe you forgot how it was to walk into a church and not really know everybody. And you don't know all the stories, and you don't know all the history, and you don't know what has happened. And you so desperately want to belong somewhere. But the only people who can really make that happen are the people who are already here and belong. And we forget what it was like. There's a lot of things that divide us. You know, you know we, we have all of these things that we put on. And, and it, it's so frustrating. But it's true and it's real. And it happens all the time. How about looks even? Did, did you know that study after study shows that someone who's attractive gets better jobs, makes more money, and is, get this, this is really sad, is happier? Did you know that? I wanted to show you a video clip. Chris, can we do that? Can we show that clip? Show the American one. We'll skip the Dutch one. <laughs> but I'm going to show you a clip. This, this was put out by, uh, I forget now, is it? Actually, by a, a makeup company, which is, seems seems uh, counterintuitive, but um, it, it was put out showing how false our our image of beauty is. So, what you're going to see is a girl uh, getting made up for a photo shoot. So, first you'll see the transition from what she really looks like to then what she looks like with makeup. Then you'll see the difference after they Photoshop her for the ad. So let's.
that's good. Do you want to see the Dutch one? It's even more dramatic. Go ahead and show the Dutch one if you can. <clears throat> What's sad about the Dutch one is in at the end it'll show you know her and then it'll show the difference and then over her natural picture there's some words in in Dutch which I had to translate and it says um, it it's roughly translated um, no future no future if you look like you really look unless you look like we think people should look. <clears throat> That's just a visual idea just to see. And, and, and I know as Christians, we, of course, we look at that and we think we don't want our daughters raised like that. We don't want our own self-image being based on something like that. But the truth is we do that. We do it based on money. We do, do it based on education sometimes, knowledge, so many things, gender. James is straight out there and just says, favoritism is unchristian. While we're, while we're go ahead and doing things that are basic, you guys know John 3.16, right? For God so loved white people that he gave. I mean, we would never say that. But then how, how much do we put in an effort to reaching people who aren't like us? Now, I grew up in San Diego where I actually grew up in South Side. I mean, I grew up in Chula Vista, about five minutes from the border. My parent, you can see Tijuana from my parents' house. So my high school was, was predominantly Mexican. And um, when you grow up in an environment like that, you don't really notice the differences as much, I think, because you grow up around it. And then you start to identify people based on whether or not they're gangsters or whether or not they're... Because if someone's Mexican, doesn't mean they're bad. But if they're a gangster, they're a gangster. I mean, it's just different. You know, if you're a vato, you're a vato. But, uh, you know, years later when... Um, I, I just remember, you know, there was a situation. I had a good friend of mine. We used to ride... Harley's a lot together. And uh, I had him come over to my family one time for Easter. And I learned a lot about race right then. Because we were really good friends. We shared a lot of time together. He was Mexican. You know, I'm not. 
And uh, when he sat down for dinner, I could tell something was bothering him, and I couldn't figure out what it was because we had a great time. He knew my family. And uh, afterward, I said, what, what's up, Patrick? What's going on? You just seem kind of weirded out. And he goes, I just realized how different we are. I thought we were like brothers, but we're not. I thought, what? What are you talking about? He said, not one thing on that table was familiar to me. I thought, wow, that's weird. Because, you know, we'd eaten at my sister's house, and she was trying to be all creative. You know how people do that sometimes? So she had couscous, which... I would be happy to never eat again, but it's some kind of a grain thing. I mean, I'd never eaten that before. My parents like weird food. They love artichokes, so they had artichokes there. You know, I, I didn't eat that. But then, you know, we had lamb, which is kind of an Easter thing, and he had mint jelly, and I'm trying to think what else we had. And he just said, he goes, you understand, in my house, you know, we may, you know, we've never eaten any of those foods, but no matter what we eat, there would at least be tortillas. It was weird, because... He, he struggled with that. And, and we, didn't, we didn't get to that depth of relationship and that conversation till we literally spent time in each, other, each other's homes. Do you hear what I'm saying? You can, you can say all day long that you do not, you know, you're not racist or you're not prejudiced or you don't show favoritism. But the difference is when you, you know someone beyond just, you know, hanging out and I have a black friend. That's not it. It's more than that. It's sharing life together where you get down and it's uncomfortable and you share time in a house and, and over a meal. It's, it changes everything. Everything. Something else about favoritism. It's unreasonable. What I mean by that is Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot. This is one of my favorite scriptures. Galatians 3.28. Neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, you're all one in Christ. Makes me really frustrated when people say that Christianity is racist or misogynistic or any of the other things, you know, that people complain about. Because in truth, Christianity is the one that set things straight. Christianity is the faith that said, no, 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 men and women are the same in Christ. Slave and free, economic, the same in Christ. Male, female, Jew, Gentile. Other religions didn't do that. Christianity did. But let's get to this. What does it mean when I say it's unreasonable? What I mean is it doesn't make sense. Favoritism doesn't make sense. Because, and, and the way James frames it is he says, our God didn't treat us this way. Why would you treat each other this way? Think about this for a minute. I know this sounds ridiculous, but this is how ridiculous it is for us to show favoritism. God doesn't check our bank account before he saves us. Yeah, man. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. That's right. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He doesn't check our heritage. He doesn't check our looks, put the mirror there. He doesn't have a cookie cutter. He doesn't do that. He just doesn't. He doesn't do that. And if he doesn't do that, it's totally unreasonable for us to do that. When scripture we read a minute ago talked about the royal law, I really pondered over that for a long time in the last few weeks. Royal law. I mean, we think of the royal law as the golden rule, right? Whatsoever you would, the men should do unto you. And then James rephrases that here. Why do we call it the royal law? It's, it's more than because Christ, the king, said it. I, I got to thinking, it's, it could even, you could even state it like this. It's because we are really to treat each other like royalty, aren't we? 
That's how you would want to be treated. Treat each other like you would want to be treated. Immanuel Kant said it another way. He said it like this. He said, um, it's a categorical imperative. He says, think of it like this. If you were to take every action you do and multiply it to every person in, at, in forever, how would the result of that be? You want to make sure that everything we do is the best possible thing. That's a very, very high standard. Man, I think about what God calls us to, and it's no wonder we fail to live up to it. We need his help to do this. And as much as I, I wanted to say before God, God, I got this. I'm good with in this area. The truth is, none of us really are. And the more you examine your heart, there are places where we can grow and we can change. <clears throat> The other thing he said is the royal law is the law that gives freedom. Let me talk to you for a minute about that. Here's how it gives you freedom. And I I think of it almost in legal terms because I don't know if any of you have traveled internationally. But there's times where traveling internationally can be very unsettling. When you you are traveling and you see a 14-year-old boy with a submachine gun and a uniform. And you realize that he controls your whole life and destiny. that That is an unsettling feeling. Because we are not equal under the law in those places. Does that make sense? There are places where money buys you freedom and money buys you access. I can't tell you how many, I, I've, I've taken so many missions trips to Mexico. I mean, 30, 40, 50, I have no, I, I couldn't even count. And I cannot tell you how many times I've been pulled over and a cop wanted a bribe. And I'm just a stubborn person. <laughs> and I would, I've never paid one. But it's, it's not that I wouldn't. I just have never had to. <laughs> But every single time, I thank God that we live in a country where at least that doesn't happen on a daily basis on the street because my bus is smoking. My diesel bus is puffing out smoke. Do you know what he means by this? The royal law and why that gives you freedom? Because that very law that that says you should not judge ensures that you will not be judged. Do you see how freeing that is? That's freedom. It's freedom to know that I don't have to be judged that way. I mean, it's one thing for us to sit in judgment on other people, but, but we know how it feels to be judged and to be the one that people are staring at and wonder, is something out of place? Why are they looking at me like that? And then I remember, oh, yeah, I've got one leg. Sometimes I forget and I think, why are they looking at me? Oh, that's right, they're looking at my leg. <laughs> but there's times where I wonder, is something wrong with my, my shirt buttoned? There's a freedom a freedom in knowing that you're okay and that the people of God are going to treat you like that, that they're going to treat you like royalty, that we belong here, that there's a place that you can go and fit. That is freedom. Let's think about this for a minute. How does this all work? How do we correct it? How do we make it work? Let me, let me get us there. The first thing, and I know this sounds altruistic and impossible, but accept everyone. How do you do that, though, in a world like this? I want, I want to be very clear about this. I said, accept everyone. What I mean by that is to accept everyone. Not approve of everything they do, but accept them. Now, that may be a very fine line for you, and it is a fine line for other people. And most people are not looking for acceptance as much as they are approval. So most people in our world today want you to approve what they're doing. And I'm not willing to do that, but I will accept them. 
I will accept them. You know what happens, though, when you do that on a consistent basis? Not approval necessarily, but acceptance. What happens is you break down those barriers and people open up. They're warm. They're warmer. When they realize they accept me and they start to see the difference. Now, again, you're not going to win everybody over, but maybe, maybe you've noticed or you heard about this in the news. Anybody have ever, any of you heard of uh, the leadership summit that Willow Creek puts on every August? They do it. It's a satellite thing. They, they do it all at the Willow Creek campus in South Barrington, Illinois, and then they, they satellite it out in, over the entire world. It's an amazing thing. And they always bring in some huge, big-name person to talk, and, and it's, it's kind of business-oriented, but it's four churches. And so this year, they had, uh, they had booked the founder of, um, of Starbucks. Uh, his name is Howard Schultz, the CEO and founder, just to talk about that amazing company and all the things that he's done. And when they found out, when the uh, homosexual lobby found out that he was going to speak at Willow Creek, they started a petition campaign that they were going to boycott Starbucks. And the petition ended up, at the time he decided to uh, withdraw from the speaking date, which I think was just the day before, uh, he had about 717 people on the uh, petition. Yeah, exactly. And Bill Hybels and his leadership team met with Schultz and his leadership team. They talked a lot. But in the end, Schultz felt like it was, a, it was the better business decision to withdraw. And in withdrawing, Bill Hybels, a pastor of that great church, you know, they did not charge them, you know, a fee for withdrawing. And I just want to read you an excerpt of what he said. I was going to play you the clip, but it was like seven minutes long. I want to show you how the church can accept without approving. Here's what he said. He said, now this whole thing, this is Bill Heibel speaking. Now this whole thing is sad to me on a number of different levels. First, if the organizers of this petition had simply taken the time to call us, we would have explained to them, as we have to many others, that this is not, that Willow is not anti-gay. We're not anti-anybody. Listen carefully, that's not approval. Our church was founded on the idea that people matter to God, all people. All people of all backgrounds, all colors, ethnicities, and sexual orientation, the mat at the door of this campus has always read welcome. And over 35 years, we have flung the doors of this campus open to the widest array of humanity I have ever witnessed in the global church. And thousands, tens of thousands, have come to learn the teaching of Jesus. To suggest that we check sexual orientation or any kind of issue at the door is simply not true. Just ask the hundreds of people with, with same-sex attraction who attend our church every week. What is true is that we challenge homosexuals and heterosexuals to live out the sexual ethics taught in scriptures. In the scriptures, which encourages full sexual expression between a man and a woman in the context of marriage and prescribes sexual abstinence and purity for everyone else. But even as we challenge all of our people to these biblical standards, we do so with grace-filled spirits, knowing the confusion and brokenness that is rampant in our fallen world And at Willow, we honor the journey of everyone who is sincerely attempting to follow Christ. So it's unfortunate that we could not have explained this to those who called us anti-gay and started this petition. He goes on to to invite the 165,000 people attending this conference to send uh, encouraging notes to the president, Howard Schultz, the CEO of that organization. And uh, he's attempting to meet with the organizers of that petition. I want you to hear what he was saying. They didn't approve of homosexuality. What he's saying is you come and get to know Jesus, and Jesus is going to heal that. He's going to help you with that. 
And that's a totally different mindset and a totally different approach to issues that people have in the church. See, a lot of times we get the idea that before you can come into the doors, you have to look like us and act like us. That's not really how Christ did it, though, did he? That's how the Pharisees and the religious establishment that Christ was preaching around did. But he did not. Look who he hung out with. He was surrounded by the, literally the dregs of society. He was surrounded by the tax collectors, the outcasts, the prostitutes, the people who nobody else wanted fellowship with. And he was judged for that. But what happened was they sensed the love and acceptance. Did I say that wrong? Okay, love and acceptance, not the approval of what they were doing. The woman caught in adultery, for instance, what did he say to her? Go and sin no more. He didn't say it's okay what you're doing. He didn't approve of that. But he loved her and she knew that he loved her. There's a great book written, uh, What's So Amazing About Grace. And in the book, the author asks the question, why is it that the church today has the reputation of being so judgmental in society? Why is it that the church today has the, has the reputation that this is the place where we hate people who are, don't, live like, don't live right and don't act right? Because that's not how Christ was viewed by the world. Christ was viewed by the world as somebody who loved them right in the middle of where they were. And what does Christ say about us? In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Another translation of that scripture says, in the middle of our sin, he died for us. Think about this for a minute. None of us are perfect in front of him anyway. It's simply a measure of how much sin there is. It's not as if anybody's, you know, I've heard this joke forever. You know, people say, hey, if you ever find the perfect church, don't go there because you'll ruin it. Right? Because people are people. We all are flawed and we all have those issues. And when we get in there, we're going to mess it up. I love how Bill Hybels handled that, though. Because he just challenged it right back. You think about where was the hate coming from? Not from Hybels. Not from that church. Not at all. The second thing I want to encourage you to do is appreciate differences. This is a difficult thing. But if you could get a mindset to just enjoy the difference. And just explore what that is. Ask some questions. Find out what makes people different. That's a totally different thing than than judging them for being different. You know what I like to do when I see someone all tatted up or whatever? I just want to find out why. What is that? I know it makes Nicole nervous, but I look at it like this. If you're going to draw attention to yourself that way, I'm going to give it to you. And I'm just going to say, wow, that's cool. What is that? What does that mean? Especially if it's another language or something, because I always wonder, do you really know what it really says? Have you really asked someone who, for instance, speaks Japanese? Does it really say that? But You know what I love about this too? Appreciating differences. Who made us this way anyway? He did. Look at the creativity he made us with. You know what I've always wanted to do? I hesitate to say this out loud because someone will steal my idea. But you know what I've always wanted to do? I've always wanted to just take photos of different aspects of, of like our face. I mean, just look at the difference. I could sit and watch people all day long. And just look at, and I love doing it. I love, I love being at an airport or anywhere and you see families come in and you think, oh my goodness, look how much that mom looks like, or sister and, or daughter. or What a creative God we have. What a variety of human beings he's made. 
I love it. And I don't, it doesn't bother me that churches are different. I was talking to someone about this the other day. They were saying, they, I, they, I was talking to them. They were saying they're looking for a church. And of course, I was trying to get them to come here. And as they were describing their background, they're saying, she was saying, my husband's Catholic and I grew up Methodist. I'm thinking, okay. Um, <laughs> and as we were talking, I was just saying, isn't it great that we have different kinds of churches? It was funny because her face, she goes, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I guess so, because we can worship different. It's okay. It's all right to be different. This last thing is, is something Pastor touched on that in prayer t- tonight, and, um, and that is affirming everyone. I really believe this, that, you know, uh, appreciation, if it's unspoken, it's worthless. Nobody knows. You might as well have not even felt thought it. If you don't say it or express it in some way, People don't know. And when pastor said, look someone in the eye, did you say affirm them? Did you say that? That is so meaningful for us. You know, I think about people who go through their whole day just wondering if someone will notice, say anything. I talked to, a, I called a visitor to this church, and I'm just, I'm saying this to you as a compliment, as a church. You know, and we, when we get visitors, there's visitor uh, we get visitor sheets in the office, and, and I know a lot of us pastors call them and thank, thank them for coming and welcome them. And I was talking to this lady a few weeks ago, and I was just thanking her for coming, and she said, what a great church. I said, well, great. I'm glad you feel that way. And she said, I was praying as we walked in that people would just be nice. And part of me is thinking, how sad. How sad you have to think that about any church. And this is what she said. Before we could make it into the seat, four people stopped us and talked to us. And then she said, then afterward, it's like we couldn't get out of the lobby because people kept stopping us and talking to us. And I thought, praise God, the church is being the church. It's doing what it's supposed to do. We're loving people the way that we need to be loved. We never know what people are going through. We never know what's happening and how badly they need connection. We just don't know. There's, there's a book I read uh, last year called Jim and Casper Go to Church. It's an interesting book. It was written by a pastor of 30-some years. And what he started doing, I don't know if you've heard of the seeker shoppers that you see on TV or whatever. Or maybe you have them in your business. Well, he thought we should do that for church. So he would literally pay people to come to his church and then give him an evaluation of the church afterward. Then he took it up a level. And so Casper, the guy in the book, is an atheist, actually. So what they did is they toured a lot of churches, I don't know, 20, 30 churches, big churches, famous churches, small churches. And what they did is they evaluated, and not all of them are written up in the book, but a lot of them are. And it's something interesting. There's a lot of things you can glean from the book. But one of the things that that specifically applies to this in affirming everybody is they felt like in a lot of cases, having the greeters at at the door outside was phony. And then what we do when we have people stop and shake hands and stuff they thought it was phony. You know why? Because they said if people were really friendly, they would have just done that without having been told to do that. Which I understand what they're saying. But you know what? It doesn't have to be that way. Because there's times where, you know, you get in and you, don't, you got your seat. You didn't get to talk to anybody. And I'm glad we get the chance to do that. So it doesn't have to be a phony thing. But here's the thing they did say. It's kind of like a couple times, you know, they seem to contradict themselves. Because then they said, then we would go to some churches and people, like, they would see us. And then they would spot us and come try to talk to us. And we're trying to evaluate this church. And they just kept interrupting us. 
And I thought, man, you guys just don't get it. I want to close tonight with this. There are things in Scripture that are obvious, but we're just not doing it. If you guys could bow your heads for a second, I would just like to pray with us for a minute, and I want you to just do a little introspection. How are you doing on this? Yes, it's obvious. Yes, it's something you've probably heard a million times. Have you, have you been in error here? Are you someone who has who has practiced favoritism? Are there people you haven't really made an effort to talk to? Are there people who you just don't feel like you could talk? I don't know. Maybe, maybe you yourself are going through something and you just don't feel like you're up to it. You don't have the emotional energy or reserves to, to reach out and do it. I'm going to pray for you tonight. And um, I'm just going to ask God to help you with that. And I'm going to ask God that, that he would help us to see the people who need connection. And, um, you know, could you open your eyes real quick? Sorry. I wanted you to look over at, at Brant Jordan and his wife. Could you guys wave your hands real quick? Because I also want to pray for them. These, these guys are pastors of Central Assembly here in Independence for many, many years. And now they're heading to Ethiopia as missionaries. Some of our heroes in the faith. They're going to be here. Do, do you know when you're coming? In January. Okay. So remember their faces. You don't have to talk to them until January. But, but we're going to pray that God would help them because they are, they are raising finances and they have a family and kids. And, and uh, let me, let's pray for those things. God, I'm so thankful that you love us and you love us equally, that we are free in this royal law because we're free to be who we are and you care about us. So, so grateful for that. God, I pray that you would heal the broken hearts and the people in this room who find it difficult to reach out because of the pain that they're in. I pray that you would heal them, that you would comfort them tonight. Father, I pray that you would also open our eyes to the people who need this love and acceptance. The people who maybe are different than us or, or maybe intimidate us even or we just don't know what it is. But God, I just pray that you would open our hearts to those people and that you would help us to love them as you have loved us. And Father, finally, we, we pray for the Jordans. We thank you so much that they have followed your call and in obedience. And we ask that you would provide for them in a supernatural way. That you provide their financial needs, all the details and logistics that goes into this incredible move for the ministry that they will be doing, that you would just bless it. I pray for their family as they make this adjustment and change, that you would bless them in all those things. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you tonight. Thank you for being here. If you would like to come pray, you can. But this is be our dismissal tonight. God bless you. That was a little abrupt, huh? That scared you.